Hello, Wildcats. I'm Demi. And what's up? I'm Ryan. And, and we're, we're your, your hosts, hosts of the of Wildcat, Wildcat Recreationist. The Wildcat Recreationist is a podcast for Chico State students with an emphasis in all things campus recreation. What's up, Wildcats? You're listening to Demi Hart. I'm a senior here at Chico State, majoring in psychology and minoring in criminal justice. I'm from a small town called Discovery Bay, California, and I work for recreational sports as a manager with intramural sports. When I'm not grinding in the classroom or on the athletic fields, I enjoy fishing, hiking, and watching anime. What's up, what's up, Wildcats? My name is Ryan Calderon, and I am a senior majoring in business marketing at Chico State. My hometown is Santa Rosa, California, and I work for recreational sports as a manager with intramurals. And for fun, I like to play baseball. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, our guests were recorded remotely and not in a studio, and so we appreciate your understanding regarding our sound quality and noise. Thank you for being here with me for episode three of the Wildcat Recreationist. My name is Brooke McCall, and I oversee programs for the Wildcat Recreation Center. So I oversee group exercise, personal training, uh, special events, and wellness. Awesome. So Brooke, are there common areas of weight gain in men's and women's bodies to target for during workouts? This is a great question, and I know everybody wants me to say a really succinct answer. The, the bottom line is there are so many factors that can affect um, how and where we gain our weight, whether we're male or female. So I'm going to stay away from broad generalizations. But if someone is looking to lose weight, the best thing they can do is build muscle because the more muscle mass you have as compared to fat mass, the more calories your body is utilizing at any given time. So it's working more efficiently. I think that's a great answer, and I think that that would help people a lot, a lot because you're right, people do always want to learn the specific thing, so I think if you just kind of right. step back and say, no, that's not really how it works, that could help them a lot. <laughs> so going off of that, what is the one best piece of nutritional advice that you could give to people trying to stay in shape during COVID-19? My advice to folks is, you know, we get really focused on what we should take out and, um, you know, we need to cut the bad. And instead of labeling things, um, you know, as good or bad, I think that the best thing you can do in this time is to add things to your daily routine that will work for you instead of against you. Um, one of the most important things, and I know this is about fitness, um, and nutrition and working out, but one of the best things you can do for yourself is to get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Uh, stay hydrated by drinking a half to a full gallon of water as a generalization for folks and increase your fruit and vegetable intake. So if you're doing all of these things, you'll be more likely to make rational decisions surrounding your food choices. And as an added bonus, these three things also boost your immune system, which is always a great thing, um, you know, with the, you know, with all the goings on right now. And then also heading into flu season, there's the added stress of the holidays, you know, it's good times. So these are just three really great rules for a daily routine. 
that's surprising that you say that sleep is such a huge factor because so many college students don't really prioritize their sleep while they might be doing other things like prioritizing workouts or food. But no, it's, it's really interesting to know that sleep actually plays a huge role in physical fitness as well. Oh, 100%. In fact, arguably, it is everything. It is, it is the foundation of your success in your physical um, goals, in strength gains, in food choices, and um, immune system efficiency. I mean, I could keep going mental health and wellness, all of it. Yes. We could do a whole other podcast on sleep. Sounds good to me. As a <laughs> major, I totally agree with you on the mental health aspect. Yes. And you're right. And it's so funny, you know, most college students don't prioritize sleep. And, um, you know, a lot of us, our society in general doesn't prioritize sleep. And so I think that that's a whole, dis- whole other discussion, but those are, those are my top three. So instead of beating yourself up and taking things away, um, just, add a few positives. That's excellent. So are there any junk food alternatives that help you keep (laughs) cravings at bay? Because we all have them and they're hard to overcome. We do. And the reason we get cravings oftentimes is because we've, we've, you know, we've been at school all day. We've been at work all day and we come home, we're starving and, and we'll eat anything. You know, your body at that point is in a survival mode and it is craving the, the thing that has the most fat and the most salt and anything that is going to fill its survival point. And so um, the best thing that we can do is prevention. And so making sure that we think about our food choices uh, ahead of time, um, having meals prepared that have adequate carbohydrates and calories and protein, um, vegetable sources, and then um, also having healthy, quote unquote, snacks prepared um, that include lean protein, um, chopped, uh, sliced, you know, fruits and vegetables, things that are easy to grab, nuts, so that when you come home and you're starving, you have that place that you can go and you can avoid the trigger of, I mean, literally it's biology driving you to want the fat. Mm-hmm. Your body's like, oh my God, when are we going to eat again? Oh my God, eat the fat. <laughs> Definitely. Going off of that, in your opinion, is counting calories actually important for weight loss? It does help for some people, and so I don't want to bash counting calories. Um, But when you decide to embark upon a diet journey, um, you better make sure that it's sustainable. So if you're going to count calories for weight loss, you better be making decisions that are going to allow you to sustain that because once you stop, you know, eating in that, in that way, your body's going to go back to the way it was. Right. And so while calorie counting might help, it is, it's not the be all end all. And really the, the, it's more important to focus on adding the good things and trying to avoid the crashes, trying to avoid the need for cheat days, trying to avoid the, um, the irrational decisions around food and, um, you know, move your body. And, and when we can do those things um, joyfully, our, our bodies are, are more at peace. Yes. So kind of in line with that, um, 
I'm sure everybody wants to know, is cutting out <laughs> carbs helpful or hurtful? Because lots of people think, oh no, you know, brain power. But other people are like, no, no carbs. I won't have any of it. You know, you can find information um, to support both of these arguments um, from very qualified folks. And so you have to go back to what works best for you. Um, I personally, you know, carbs give you energy. They are, um, they, you know, they are, like you mentioned, brain food, you're spot on there. They allow us to, um, you know, they add to the energy that we have the ability to put into our workout. Um, and so, you know, I don't generally recommend cutting them from your diet unless you're doing so with a lot of um, background information and um, the help of a professional. So um, again, you, you just have to find something that is, and again, are you just going to cut carbs for, you know, is it sustainable, mm -hmm. right? Um, so uh, I don't wanna say whether it's helpful or hurtful. I think that you have to go with what works best for you, but they are, carbs are a really important nutrition source. And so I generally, I like them. <laughs> I love carbs. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I'm not willing to give them up for anything. So if you could do it, more power to you. <laughs> I totally agree. I there's no way that I could even think about giving up carbs. <laughs> there is, um, and you know, when we talk about carbs too, and this we have to note this. Um, when we talk about carbs too, I mean, we 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 always go back to the discussion of refined carbohydrates versus, um, you know, refined or unrefined carbohydrates. So when you're looking at um, white rice versus brown rice, right, or um, fruit versus fruit juice, you, you know, you have to look at the process point of the carbohydrate that you're eating. So if you're eating something that is whole grain, um, that is generally, I like to recommend whole food um, nutrition for carbs. And so, you know, your body has to break down like the whole of the rice and the, you know, all the stuff inside and it, it utilizes what it, it can. Um, and there's a lot of things in there that it can use. Whereas white rice, it's, it's been so heavily processed that there is less nutrition in there. And so your body, it doesn't stick with you as long. Mm -hmm. um, same goes for, you know, if you're going to drink apple juice as opposed to eating an apple with the apple itself, you have, you know, the water content, the fiber, you have the nutrients of all of that, the whole component of the apple. And then if you're just drinking juice, it just goes right through you. Whereas your body is actually working to digest the apple. And so, um, there's, there's so many factors that go into the carb conversation. Yeah, that's fascinating, especially when I feel like just me as a person, I immediately recognize what you're talking about because um, back before I knew anything about nutrition, I would, you know, eat the really processed white bread and it just wasn't good. And then as soon as I switched over to more whole grain types of breads um, with these really pure ingredients, I noticed an immediate difference in energy levels and just... It, I, I can't explain it just to, besides saying that there is a difference that I could feel just from changing the type of bread I was eating. Isn't that amazing? And that's your body utilizing nutrients. That is your body recognizing that you fueled it. It's, it's, it's fueling your body as opposed to filling a craving or just eating, right? Yeah. You know, why we eat is, you know, um, often uh, Coach Colin um, Colin Kogenauer brought up this really amazing point in a workshop that he did a couple couple weeks ago with us. He's the um, uh, 
head strength and conditioning coach for Chico State Athletics. And he goes, before you even start to talk about what you eat, you need to understand why you eat. And that just blew my mind. I was like, oh, yes. It, is, it just like put it all in a package with a bow for me. Mm-hmm. That's really well said. It was really well put. So in your experience, are there certain foods or times of the day that people should tend to eat around workouts? If that question makes sense. Um, you know, you should eat before you work out. Um, you, should, you should eat before you work out. You should fuel your body for your workout. Um, it's kind of like filling up your, your tank before you go on a long trip right? You need gas in your car. And, um, you know, think of your, you know, your car's like a Lamborghini, right? And so you got to put like the good gas in it, right? Mm -hmm. Is it the premium? (laughs) There, it's premium gas. So you're going on a long trip on a Lamborghini and you got to put the premium gas in it. And so um, you want to fuel your body for your workout. um, But when we have the discussion, when we start to enter the discussion of when we do all these things, we start to get into the area of the shoulds and that's kind of a dangerous place, especially for college students, because, you know, you'll only have a certain amount of time each day and you have to set your schedule up for your success. Um, and, you know, your, your number one priority right now is hopefully academics. And so if the only time you have to work out is eight o'clock at night, then you need to fill your body at eight o'clock at night so that you can get your exercise and then hopefully get your seven to nine hours of sleep. It's, it's hard to say that there are best times because everybody is so different. Everybody's schedules and, and our eating habits um, and when we eat are um, so different. So I know that I didn't really answer that very um, straight. There's not a straightforward answer to that. Um, but I think that that's a positive thing um, because again, we're just all trying to do the right thing and the right thing is to do it. Right. And do it when it works for you. Mm-hmm. No, I think that answer is great because it gives people more flexibility in their schedules. So right. I think that's an answer that a lot of people could appreciate. Yeah, no, and I think that that's a, it's a, it brings up another um, really great point. You know, oftentimes we look at um, a rigid way of eating. You know, for example, if we go back to the carb discussion, you say you can't, in order to um, have a successful meal plan. You can't eat any carbs and you have to work out at this time and you have to eat this before you work out. And it starts to get the, it starts to get so rigorous that it's not sustainable and it's not fun and it's unenjoyable and, and fueling your body and moving your body and, um, exercising and, and really starting these, um, hopefully life habits, uh, they should be enjoyable. It should be um, a really awesome journey for you. And so when we start to say has to be now and you have to do this and people are like, nah, I'm not going to do it at all. And then you just regress. Yeah, that definitely speaks to me because that I've done that several times where you get into this habit of, okay, very structured diet, very structured. Uh, and then one day you wake up and you're like, Eh, I don't really feel like doing this anymore. And then you just quit for months. Totally. Totally. Yeah. The first thing you should always ask yourself, is this sustainable? In six months, do I want to be following this exact same plan? And if the answer is no, find another plan. (laughs) (laughs) This next question you kind of already answered with 
like the apple juice compared to apple um, analogy, but I'll just ask it anyways. What are your thoughts on detox or juice cleanses? Because they seem to be all the rage now. They are all the rage. And there are people, again, that um, there is science to back both both areas. Um, my, you know, your body is, is truly amazing. Um, your, your kidneys and your liver, uh, do incredible things in terms of detoxing and cleansing your system. And when we go back to the sleep discussion, your body does amazing things when it sleeps, basically you go into the state where it really starts to regenerate. Um, and so if you are, you know, putting, if you're, making sure that you're well hydrated, you're getting adequate sleep, you're eating, you know, fresh whole foods as much as possible. Um, you know, fruits and vegetables, there's, there's really not a huge need uh, in my belief for a detox or a juice cleanse. I think that, you know, the, the diet industry is worth billions of dollars per year and there are definitely ways. And I think that this is an important conversation to have with college students as well. Um, you know, they know how to market to us um, in terms of, you know, selling things that might make you feel good, but, you know, in the long run, you don't necessarily need them. Your body will do it all on its own if you set it up for success to do so. That, like, I'm just going to take a moment to appreciate that whole thing <laughs> right there. <laughs> That was wow. That just like that was that was spot on. That was an amazing. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna move us a little bit more into the physical fitness realm. And um my first question is in regards to weightlifting, how do you know how much weight you should be lifting? And is there such a thing as spot reducing fat as people so commonly believe? Oh, I wish there were. Um, so in regards to weightlifting, uh, how do you know how much weight you should be lifting? It, it really depends on what your goals are. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you're trying to make a change, if you're trying to go for gains, right, you need to be lifting enough weight that leaves you a little bit sore in all the right places. Um, if you're not sore, um, chances are, and I'm not talking like can't sit down, you know, hurts to get up. I'm in pain for four days. Um, but just like, Ooh, I feel my workout. Um, if you're, if you're not getting that little bit of soreness, uh, chances are you are not, um, you know, lifting enough. Um, in regards to that, wh what that means is exercise is a stress that you put on your body. Your body be responds by becoming stronger. And so when, when you lift weights and you're sore the next day, that is literally like little muscle fibers in your body having been broken down and they're going to rebuild, but this time they're going to be re rebuilt stronger. Right. And so as long as we are challenging ourselves in some way, uh, we will experience growth. Um, if you're just trying to maintain, um, you still need to kind of climb the ladder a bit, um, because your body will plateau. Um, and then, you know, in terms of amount, like specific amount, that's really hard to say. But the good news is that the rec is offering free virtual personal training right now, if I can give a shameless plug. Yeah. So you can, um, folks can find um, 
our you know trainers on our Instagram page on our websites and they can actually sign up for free virtual personal training and a personal trainer can work with you individually and take you through um, those steps and that's kind of an area where personal trainers are so beneficial as they can kind of walk you through um, the specifics that work for you and I will throw in here <clears throat> we have a general a lot of <clears throat> excuse me a lot of women have a fear of bulking up well, I don't want to lift heavy weights because I don't want to be super muscly. Um, I don't want to be beefy. I want that lean look. And that's actually a myth. Lifting heavy weights will not make you bulky. Um, it will just give you lean body mass. And so um, I always encourage women never to be afraid to kind of get out there and lift over the seven and a halfs, like pick up the tens, pick up the twelves as you progress. Don't just go do it now because, you know, COVID, we're all locked at home. <laughs> Maybe we see the fives, but um, it's, you know, um, staying away from those myths too uh, and, and being empowered to um, really challenge yourself if you're looking for a change. Um, is there such a thing as spot reduction? Uh, no. So if you want to lose weight in your belly, unfortunately doing a million crunches a day is not going to lose weight in your belly. Um, your belly fat, we're just going to take belly fat because it came out first. Um, you know, those kinds of things are lost on the treadmill and on the weight room floor and through a whole body routine. Mm -hmm. That makes working out sound so much more fun when you put it as every time you're sore, it's your muscles getting stronger. Yes. No, I can't like physically see that I grew some muscle in the mirror after my workout, it's still there, which is super exciting to me. <laughs> right? Your brain's like, yeah, I see a tricep. There it is. <laughs> right? No, it is. Amazing things happen when you start lifting weights. Um, you know, you don't start to see um, necessarily physical changes for about, you know, I'd say six to eight weeks where you really start to see them. Um, but man, you feel them immediately. You just, your brain starts to communicate different with your body. And you just, when you start on a, a fitness regimen, it just, you just start to feel great. It's, it's awesome. Yes, I agree with that. I'm a runner. I love to run as much as I can and yeah. I go through phases though. So sometimes I can barely, you know, meet my two miles. Sometimes I'll go run eight miles. And anytime you just, you do a little bit better than the day before, it's so rewarding. And then you just feel like, oh, I've got this. Yeah, it is. It's that endorphin kick, man. It's great. Do you have any tips, tricks, or advice for working out during the pandemic, such as what kinds of workouts can you do if you're pressed for time? You know, I think a lot of folks have struggled with motivation throughout the pandemic. And the, the best advice I can give someone right now is that in order to make any change, discipline is going to have to win out over motivation. Um, and consistency is going to breed results, not time. And so what kinds of workouts can you do? What do you like to do? What gets you moving? Um, you know, in terms of efficiency, uh, you know, we hear a lot about HIIT training, high intensity interval training. Um, that is super effective for a lot of folks because um, it switches uh, exercises up a lot and um, it can be done in a short period of time and it's strength and cardio all in one. 
So, I mean, you could work out 30 minutes a day doing um, a, a HIIT workout. And we say high intensity, but I mean, in all honesty, it's what you have to bring to the table that day. And the important thing is that you did it. So um, that's what I would recommend for folks that are pressed for time. That's what I do um, every morning. I drag my sorry butt out of bed and into the garage <laughs> and I press a button on my screen and this woman comes up and she yells at me. And you know, there are days where I'm like, yeah. And there's days where I'm just like, Oh God. But you just, when you're done, it feels so good. <laughs> my last question for you is what kinds of resources could people utilize during COVID to stay healthy do you have any YouTube channel suggestions or program recommendations that you think would be helpful to people? Definitely. So the first thing that I recommend is starting out with a routine. So it's something that you do every day so it becomes habit and that you're staying consistent with uh, whatever you pick that works for you. Um, I recommend following the Associated Students channel. We have pre-recorded workouts there that you can utilize at any time that works well for you. There are instructors that are rec instructors, there are short workouts, there are long ones, whatever fits into your schedule. And then I also recommend following us on um, social media. So follow the rec on um, Instagram and Facebook, we have Twitter feed, and you'll find workouts on Instagram. Um, you'll find information on how to register for classes. Our group exercise classes are on Zoom and you can access them through our website. Um, you can access them through Instagram and sign up and participate in those as well. So these are all instructor-led classes and you can do them whenever works for you. So currently we offer Buds and Guts, um, Abs Classes, Fuego, and Yoga. Thank you so much for being here with me for episode three. I thought that everything that we've talked about <laughs> has been extremely useful. And awesome. I know you've opened my eyes to a lot of things that I thought I knew, but turns out I didn't. <laughs> Sweet. Um, and I think all of our listeners are also going to be really appreciative of your advice because it's hard to get back into the world of fitness, no matter if you've been here for a while or you're just starting out. And I think the things that we've covered today will help put people down the right path. Um, and definitely take some of the mysticism out of the world of fitness. So thank you for that. Excellent. Well, Demi, thank you so much for having me. I, I love having these discussions. And if I can be of any service to anyone, um, you know, uh, my email is all over the REC website. Um, feel free to reach out. Um, I love working with folks and um, really just kind of delving into this because it, it really is an individual journey. And so um, I encourage folks to take it on and take it on in a positive way and give yourself some grace. For all things campus recreation, head over to the Rec app in the iTunes and Google Play Store. You can find it by searching WREC at CSU Chico. So my name is Ryan Calderon. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Colin Kokenauer. Um, he is the head strength and conditioning coach at Chico State. So Colin, you know, tell us a little bit about your role and what your day-to-day -day looks like. Ryan, thank you for having me on the show today. Uh, what's up, Wildcat family, near and far? And if you're not a Wildcat fan and you're tuning in today, 
you're about to find out what's up with Chico State Athletics and strength and conditioning. So my role as head strength and conditioning coach for Chico State Athletics is primarily, uh, well, there is no primarily, it is with our intercollegiate varsity athletes. And these are the NCAA sponsored sports at Chico State University. So specifically, this is, uh, this is not a club sport um, or even a rec sport. These are the NCAA sponsored sports uh, that where we compete regionally as well as on a national level. And so um, my role as head strength and conditioning coach is multifaceted without going into great detail in any one area. I'll hit some of the key points. Uh, number one is to oversee the development and implementation of all strength and conditioning programming for each and every one of our our intervarsity sports. So that would, um, that would include everything from uh, strength training that would have multiple uh, facets to that from development of strength, development of muscle tissue or hypertrophy, uh, power development, or whatever is the goal or the desired outcome of the particular sport. Uh, because each of our events and each of our sports uh, is going to have a little bit different focus and a little bit different emphasis. And we'll, you know, try to, try to uh, exhibit those changes in, in a little bit different way in the weight room. Uh, so yes, to design and implement the strength training aspect that you would find in our, uh, in our weight room location in Acker Gym. The okay. next step, uh, the conditioning aspect. This actually is both strength and conditioning, but conditioning especially involves even more involvement directly hand in hand with the coaches of the individual sports. And what I mean by that is I need to account for the volume that each and every sport is putting their student athletes through. For example, sports that are really heavy in running volume, such as cross country, soccer, basketball, et cetera, I need to account for how much they're actually doing in practice and how that's going to affect what I, what I need to number one train for so that they can get to the level and surpass the level of expectation that's needed to play at a high level in their sport, but also um, that I can program design around the specific attributes that they're going, that they're going to need to exhibit again, to perform optimally in their sport. So really it's just, it's a balancing act, um, making sure that I, um, both uh, consider the needs and the goals of the coaches and the student athletes as a whole, uh, both in the weight room and on the field or court of play. That's really the most, um, that's the vast majority of, uh, of my job. However, nutrition, um, nutritional consultation and coaching with individual athletes as well as teams, um, sports psychological sports psychology and the, the support and mentorship of my student athletes and teams, uh, as well as a bunch of administrative things that are really not going to be fun for this podcast to speak about. Again, it's more organizational in nature. Totally get you. So, you know, as a student athlete myself, like, and with COVID being such a, a prominent thing in the climate today, you know, how are you looking to, you know, manage some of the volume that athletes are currently going through and, you know, give them some virtual stuff to do? How, how is that working out for you right now? Well, I can tell you that obviously, um, I think as all strength coaches wish that they were in the weight room or wish they were on the field with their athletes. And some are, some aren't. In our current situation, we're extremely limited. Actually, all Cal State system, all CSU system schools are are in a di we're all in our own individual spaces, depending on the communities that we're in. However, um, all CSUs being primarily virtual for the fall and now announced for the spring going into 2021, 
we face a unique challenge of not being able to do what we're best at, which is engaging and motivating and coaching our students one-on-one -on -one and in person. One-on-one uh, -on -one meaning, of course, it's a team, but we're able to engage you as a student athlete and coach up your form specifically to that movement in that moment. Now, with that said, uh, I've actually found tremendous opportunities in, in this awkward obstacle of a situation that we're in and turning um, these obstacles into opportunities have manifest themselves in the way of expanding well creating and expanding a massive database that our student athletes are able to tap into utilizing the student learning software that uh, that our institution uses in this case specifically Chico State uses um, a software called Blackboard mm. um, by creating an strength and conditioning blackboard organization and inviting all of our student athletes, not inviting, enrolling all of our student athletes to this organization, I've been able to create and distribute strength, conditioning, nutrition, psychology, injury, rehabilitation information. I mean, I'm talking content that honestly, I've really wanted to be able to share for years with my student athletes, but I haven't had, honestly, I haven't had the, the obligation slash opportunity to be that I'm put in right now with COVID to do so. So I really try to find whatever positives I can. And I can honestly say that when we're back to in-person, we are going to have a huge benefit to this time that's been very challenging because of the resources that are now available virtually to our student athletes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like the, you know, the database of knowledge is endless. And just to kind of get some background, you know, how did you just like first get into your health and fitness lifestyle and what, what did that encompass for you? Wow, man. Um, I'll try to keep that one as short as I can, but that's going to be tough. I mean, like, how did I get into it? For me, it, uh, it actually all started with sports um, and that's back in high school. So, I mean, even before high school, it was uh, my dad would drag me to the gym you know, because he was trying to lose some weight and he would just be like, all right, get lost, kid. So I just literally looked around the gym, found the buffest dude in the gym, followed him around and just saw what he was doing, tried to lift the same weight, inevitably hurt myself a bunch of times. That was fun. Um, but after that, after that little self-exploration through junior high, really what, necess what, uh, what facilitated uh, my desire for strength and conditioning or just for fitness in general um, was football. I, I played high school football at the time I was in high school. And, uh, you know, for those of you that watch football, you know, that it's a, it's a very, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, let's say, um, contact sport. It's a collision sport. So these violent impacts, you know, they necessitate that your body is built up in every way, shape and form, both as a shield and as a weapon. And so, uh, for me, as a young man, as a teenager, I was extremely motivated to build my body to a level that could protect it and then also could help me perform optimally on the field. And I fell in love with the sport of football in high school. And that really, um, really blew up not not just my own experience in the weight room, but really my interest. And I would be up, you know, while kids were up, you know, till the wee hours of the morning, you know, playing video games, I would be up till 2am reading about nutrition and reading about supplements. And, you know, while kids would be out on the I was just talking to my nephew about this yesterday, while kids would go to parties after the games, and they would be drinking beer, I would go to the same party with a protein shake in my hand. And it really truly was just like this, 
journey that was inspired for, started within my own self. Um, and then it really uh, steamrolled into where my friends and my family members and my friend, the, my, the family members of my friends would ask me not only for tips and tricks, but they would ask me to train them. So then what turned into an informal coaching and training, even in high school, turned into me actually receiving my first nationally accredited personal training certification at the age of 18, um, right around the time I graduated from high school. I got my first personal training certification, uh, NCSF, National Commission on Strength and Fitness, was my first personal training cert. And you know what? It was great. And so I was a personal trainer throughout my entire college experience, even while playing JC football and all of that. I mean, um, I continued to work in the field of fitness and I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist and that's what I was going to school for. And I was grinding hard and working my butt off and I kept working as a personal trainer and I worked as a physical therapy aide and worked with some individuals that had some pretty severe disabilities, uh, physical impairments that were from various injuries, but also um, the ones that stick out the most were the neurological impairments. Uh, a one woman that I worked with had a stroke and it greatly affected her ability to function and her activities of daily life. As a young man, I was a former competitor, uh, competitive athlete, and uh, somebody who, as a personal trainer, was used to basically getting paid to show results fast. Um, you know, working with somebody that had those extreme limitations of, you know, neurological dysfunction and impairment from such a thing as a stroke was very hard for me. And I didn't have the patience for it at the time. And it changed the direction of my career. So I went from being a personal trainer, physical therapy aid and student to giving up on my dream of being not dream, but my desire to be a physical therapist, shifting gears into um, uh, continuing my mastery in personal training, but shifting gears to, to going into the performance ra uh, realm of strength and conditioning. And without going and giving you my whole story, I worked, I worked my way up and I, worked, I busted my butt and I worked a, countless hours for free training high school athletes. I was a strength and conditioning coach at my, the high school that I ended up graduating from. Um, and I trained all of their football players, all of their basketball players. Basketball players went on to compete for a state title. Um, they were in the elite eight, final eight in the state. Our men's uh, football team competed twice for sectional championships while I was there uh, working with their strength and conditioning program. It was incredible and while well, creating their strength program. And then I moved on to the junior college level and I moved on to the Sonoma state level where I was finishing my degree. And I actually was, uh, became the strength and conditioning coach for the basketball programs there while at Sonoma state. So my journey is a lot of firsthand experience that facilitated and fostered and continued to nurture the growth and fuel the interest and feed the interest that I have in the human body. Um, I just went for a long time without stopping, but basically at the heart of it all is um, curiosity. Uh, I'd say is curiosity uh, in the human body. It's just an incredible interest in the profound, um, the profound abilities that the human body has to adapt so intriguing to me it's so interesting to me um and then furthermore uh truly is the opportunity to help uh the opportunity to mentor the opportunity to facilitate a change is not just physical but that is uh mental emotional and relational um i think that that connection especially if you're an athlete and you've competed in sports before 
at a high level. Um, high level athletes, there's there's a, a camaraderie that you develop with your fellow athletes that is pretty much impossible to get in any other realm. And so I feel so blessed to work in athletics because uh, I get to experience that with every one of our student athletes here at Chico State. We're talking over 350 athletes, you know, big football teams around 100, almost 100 athletes. That was my experience playing football. But I tell you what, I would much rather have my 350 Wildcats any day of the week because we got the best people. Forget athletes. We got the best people that I've ever met. So I'm just so glad to be where I'm at. Absolutely. And I mean, I would totally agree with you that, you know, mental and neurological performance is as important as physical. Um, talking a little bit about your firsthand experience, I know that you had a little bit of background in bodybuilding. And so I was wondering, you know, if you could talk a little bit about how, you know, that shaped you and your career path as, you know, the strength and conditioning coach, just like kind of some takeaways from your, your course. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so I'm smiling because, uh, I got to be honest with you. So throughout like my personal training experience before I ever got into even like sports performance as my, uh, as a specialty, um, I always, I, I, I thought bodybuilding was cool as far as looking at the pictures. Okay. I thought looking at what the human body could do was intriguing. So that's literally how far it went for me. I, I actually bashed bodybuilding. I thought, I thought, and I would speak of it as, completely dysfunctional and unhealthy way of life and training. <laughs> um, and I was that way to a great, to a great degree. Um, I would say even worse things than that, um, but I'm not going to share the type of things that I would say. And you know, what ended up happening was it, I, I, my personal training career and also my professional training career, I started to train more athletes of all different types and I was approached by many individuals that either were physique competitors or wanted to become physique competitors. So I don't say bodybuilding, I'll say physique sports because we're talking about bikini competitors. We're talking about women's figure, women's physique, and then of course, bodybuilding. And in men, you got uh, primarily three categories. Now you got um, men's physique, which is like wearing, a, wearing board shorts. It's like your best beach body. Then you got a uh, classic physique, which is like an old school bodybuilder. That's like ripped, like super jacked, but not quite enough. Like you're like, oh, that's almost attainable, <laughs> but, but usually not quite. And then you have men's bodybuilding, which is the total freak shows. Like, like literally when I say freak show, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I mean that in like an, oh my gosh, this is 100% of your life. Yeah. There's not a moment in your life that does not go into creating what you what you are um so anyways uh with that little bit of a tangent you know i was just a, i kept getting approached by these people that wanted me to coach them and without having both the first-hand experience in bodybuilding and without having the first-hand experience with exclusively bodybuilding related training methods um training asterisks on that training methods comment um i didn't feel like it i would be doing it justice to train these people that wanted to be high level competitors. Like their aspirations weren't just, I want to step on stage. These people were approaching me, paying me up to a hundred dollars an hour in training and way more than that for the program design behind the nutrition and everything else. They were saying, I want to dedicate my life to this sport 
and be some make something of myself and get paid to be a sponsored, you know, a sponsored athlete. And so I took it seriously. I said, you know what, like, okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to have to completely immerse myself in this world. So honestly, I spent like five years completely, I don't want to say completely immersed, but really truly immersed in the environment and the um, culture of, of bodybuilding, uh, went to many shows, studied and practiced the, the posing and everything that goes into it. Um, and to be perfectly honest, how did that, uh, how did, how does that shape my, um, approach now, uh, working with high level intercollegiate varsity sports, very little. And here's what I mean by that program design for bodybuilding is relatively simple. Um, I mentioned earlier about accounting for the running volumes at practice for different athletes with bodybuilding. You don't got to account for any of that. Bodybuilding is simple. It is adjust your sets and reps, get as much volume into your body as you can. Like how many, how many reps can you handle period, uh, under a bar or dumbbell? I'm not talking about running at all. Actually with all these physique sports. Yeah, dude, you ain't running. Um, you might look like, especially on stage, and then this is a tangent, they might look like the physique athletes might look like incredible athletes. Like, man, that guy could probably jump over the moon or he could probably lift the house. In the state that you're in when you step on stage, you're the weakest that you'll ever be. You are the slowest. You, your performance is by far the, going to be the worst when you step on stage. And your health... <laughs> <laughs> generally speaking, when you step on stage as a physique athlete is not well. So um, because of the insanely low body fat percentage that you're at and the caloric deficits that you're at and how you attain those caloric deficits, not, it's not always the same because every body is different. And I've had, I don't want to make universal statements, but typically you're on very little carbs and very high caffeine. And so, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're not doing good. So, um, you know, training bodybuilders was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a really cool experience and getting into that network and that culture was cool. Um, uh, it's a really fun experience. Competing myself was a blast. I had way more fun. I enjoyed it much more than I ever thought I would. Like I said, I previously pretty much spoke ill of the sport of bodybuilding and the individuals who participated in, I thought they had a mental problem. However, um, now it's kind of part of my heart, but it's not a huge part of my training. Um, very, I take very little from <laughs> other than the discipline, other than the discipline. Uh, I take very little as far as my programming from bodybuilding and plug it into my athletes. Totally. So, about discipline, it might be so hard, you know, for some people at home to, you know, have that same discipline that we do to, you know, want to wake up and go to the gym. You know, how can the person who's, you know, stuck at home right now really get into a routine or just like a, move, move towards a healthier lifestyle? You know, what are some ways that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, um, for those of you that see this, hear this, you got to start off with something that you at least have some kind of interest in or that you um, might enjoy. And that, I know that's a broad statement, but like, if you like to dance, make it a point. If you like music, make it a point, put on that music. And every day you got 
two songs and you just got to break it down for yourself in the middle of the house. Nobody's watching. Just go dance. Like nobody's watching because nobody's watching for real. Um, I'm serious. Cause because if I was to give, um, the listeners a sample program, for example, it would be completely useless for me just to talk about it. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because if I tell you to do, you know, five rounds as many reps as possible in five minutes, oh, I'm sorry, five minutes as many reps as possible of push-ups, side plank, body weight lunges, and I don't freaking know, jumping jacks, okay, uh, for 10 reps each for five minutes. Like, would you burn a lot of calories? Yes. If I told you to do that every single day and then every third day at a minute until you got to 20 minutes of as many rounds as possible, would you, if you were an average couch potato, if you're the average couch potato, and it doesn't mean you're a couch potato, it means maybe you eat potato chips while sitting on the couch, but you don't also have a workout program. If you did what I just said, you would absolutely increase full body, body composition, um, decreasing body fat, increase lean muscle mass. If you're going from zero to that, and you would continue to progress, not perpetually, but you would continue to progress honestly for probably two months before you noticed any slowdown, even with minor dietary changes. Like everybody wants to say, oh, it's 70% nutrition. If you, if you don't move your body, it doesn't matter, okay? If you move your body and you eat crap and then you, inc- and then you work on your diet, then of course you'll do better. Both are important is what I'm saying. So number one, find something, anything that you enjoy and start doing more of it. Even if that's going on walks, do more of it. And what I say by do more of it is hold yourself accountable to doing a little bit every day. Because honestly, the habits aren't started by just doing something once a week. Habits, any kind of fitness journey, it needs to be habitual. And it should be goal oriented as well. So set yourself a goal, whether that's up. I would recommend the goal being participation based and not just a weight loss goal or a weight gain goal. Those are great. A weight loss or weight gain goals are great to get you started, but they will not stick with you. You will lose focus. You will find something to distract you. That's an external focus. Okay. Um, it's extrinsic to make it internal and intrinsic You start off and continue to focus more on a participation-based goal where you do something every day or come up with a schedule that you know you can hold yourself to that fits in your schedule. So maybe it's three or four days a week, but make it consistent. Don't just say, I'm going to work out four days a week, but then don't plan, okay? You say, I'm going Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from 4 to 5 p.m., and I like to walk. So I am going to walk for that whole time. And once you've proven to yourself that you can do that, And you feel the sense of confidence that comes with holding yourself accountable and then following through on something that you and you alone held yourself to, you will increase your self-efficacy, which is your belief in oneself to be able to set a more difficult goal. So then that's when you start to get out of your comfort zone and you say, okay, I've been going four days a week. I've been doing these walks, but you know what? Um, I lost five pounds, but I haven't moved since then. Nothing else has changed. I've lost the five pounds. It's all been the same. It's time to push it up to a level and get out of your comfort zone. So the first thing is habitual and increasing self-efficacy by establishing a routine and holding yourself to it. And the routine doesn't have to be every day, but it should be frequent, as frequent as possible. And it should be something that you know you can hold yourself to. So don't set a lofty goal that makes no sense. I'm going to train five hours a day, 10 days a week. There's seven days in a week. You just failed. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. 
and then you slowly build and you slowly build and you slowly build. Rome wasn't built in a day. It's a cliche saying. It's true. Your body wasn't built overnight. It will take time. It will take discipline. It will take, honestly, a little bit of discomfort. Um, and honestly, it'll take a little sacrifice. Now, now, not sacrifice in a negative way, a compromise with yourself where you ask yourself, what's more important, eating the sweet snack late at night or cutting a little bit of those rolls off the belly? Like seriously, if you're the Michelin man, you got tires stacked up. It's really hard. And I use these things and like, it sounds like derogatory. I'm like serious. Like if you're feeling like you got so many things to dig yourself out of, so, such a deep hole to dig yourself out of. Um, and I've worked with so many people that have felt that way. And they're like, I don't know where to start. And even if I lose five pounds, it doesn't matter because I'm 350 pounds. You know, what does that matter? You have to start somewhere. And so if you got Michelin man tires stacked up, you got to start letting the air out of one of them you know, let's go. And so you set those goals and you break them down and you continue to bust them down. And once you get that self-confidence, then you set yourself a big goal. Then you set yourself a big goal, make a participation base to start with, hold yourself accountable. After you prove to yourself, you can do it for a month, set yourself a goal. That's more lofty. That's going to take a while to accomplish. Set yourself a, set yourself a year goal and work yourself back and say, by the end of next year, this was where I will be. But then you have to, you cannot just leave it there. You have to say, okay, six month checkpoint, three month checkpoint, one month from now checkpoint. Because if you just have the big goal, you'll lose track. Even if you lose the five pounds, but your goal was 50, you'll feel like a failure. So you have to have the checkpoints and they have to be realistic. I'll finish with this because I know it's a long answer. All of your goals should be smart, smart goals specific s smart is an acronym specific measurable attainable r for me means relevant relevant to your life relevant to you okay um but r could also mean realistic and timely it has to be timely you have to say it's going to be accomplished by this time meaning a month from now three months from now so set yourself some smart goals establish a routine and get your button gear because life uh, and health, uh, it, it's not just today or tomorrow. It's, yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's, a, it's an everyday thing. It doesn't stop. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And then one thing that I would probably add to that is the, the amount of mental benefits that come from working out as well. I mean, not even just like seeing yourself in a different light, but just like being able to go outside and, you know, relieve stress and everything that comes from that. But, you know, just to conclude, you know, Thank you so much for being on the show today. I, I totally appreciate it. And thank you for sharing your insight. Um, any, any final words or anything else? Yeah, go get it. Go Wildcats. And for all of you that are listening that aren't Wildcats, honestly, we still got Wildcat love for you. Find a way to join the family. Seriously, we got all kinds of stuff. Like whether it's a major, whether it's like you're a member of the community and you want to become, uh, become a Wildcat, just come to a game buy a wildcat hat sport it represent because i'll tell you what chico state we're taking over love it thank you so much take care thank you so much to our guests and our listeners stay tuned for the next episode and remember to smash the subscribe button go wildcats
lastly, we just want to say thank you so much to our guests and our listeners. Without you all, this wouldn't be possible. Stay tuned for the next episode, and remember to hit that subscribe button below. Go Cats! Go Cats!